0: Isn't it interesting that as part of human nature, we all try to find a way to outwit a test? I mean, we strategize, we plan, we try to go around it rather than just kind of going straight through it at times. <laughs> well, that couldn't be any more true than it is for the gestational diabetic screening test. The 50 gram glucose challenge. And I'll put this in perspective. Right now, the universal rule is that you can do this without a fasting state to just come in random, take your 50 gram sugar test, and then you get your sugar sugar evaluated by a plasma blood draw in one hour. Everybody gets that. But we try to outwit the test because the thought is intuitively, wait a minute, I'm going to go into that test fasting so that I really pass that so then I don't have to go on to the three hour. Because it just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you're fasting and you take the 50 gram, chances are your sugar would be lower. But is it? Well, there's a new publication coming out in the Green Journal that answers that question. And there is a reason, guys, why that 50-gram, one-hour test is done randomly, not fasting. Because the answer to whether fasting or fed is better is actually kind of surprising. But it even raises more questions, like why do we do the fasting three-hour test? So I'm going to get into all of this, but in brief, we're going to answer, is it better to be fasting or in the fed state for the one-hour, 50-gram glucose challenge test? Let's get to that right now. Our goal is to keep everyone up to date in practicing evidence-based medicine because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Not long ago, one of our residents who was obviously pregnant was getting ready to do her one hour glucose tolerance screen. And as she was getting ready to do that, I remember her saying, Oh, I fasted all night because I definitely don't want to fail this. I don't have time to do a three-hour. And I mean, how am I going to take this after eating? I mean, if I eat something, my postprandial is going to be high. And then I'm going to take the sugar test and it's going to be even higher. And then I'm going to fail. I mean, sometimes we're too smart for ourselves. I mean, it makes sense, right? That's logically possible. Hey, if you're in a postprandial state already and then you take another sugar load, is it going to be higher? And so she tried to outwit the system by being fasting. Now, thankfully, she passed. But actually, that's not what's supposed to happen. (laughs) Because there's actually a higher chance that if you take the one-hour test in a fasting state, there's a higher percentage probability that you're actually going to fail that and then move on to the three-hour. I'm going to explain all that in a minute. But let's just first tackle this whole issue of gestational diabetes testing right off the bat. Okay, for the next part, I want to record this mobile because I want to get Brittany. She's pregnant. I want to get her perspective on this. Now, before we get into our study summary, a quick little cameo, because I've got somebody here with me that I want to bounce off this question about the whole one hour. I want to bounce this off her. But here with me today, I have Brittany Helmer. Hey, Brittany, you do a great job. Brittany one of our PAs. She's part of our team, super evidence-based. So here on our podcast, Brittany, I do want to tell you, you do great. It's always great working with you. You do fantastic. And I do have permission to say, so nobody send me an email. I'm not giving out her HIP information. I have permission to say, Brittany, you're expecting. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, in the 50s, which I was not around, Brittany, but in the 50s is that you're in a fragile state. Fragile, like, like you're made out of porcelain or something. I don't know what to think about that. (laughs) All right. So being that you are pregnant, at some point, you're going to do your one hour screen because we're not quite at 24 weeks yet. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So here's a quick question for you. As you prepare to do your one hour, doesn't it make sense to go in fasting? I mean, you want to kind of be empty, right? So you want to pass that test. Doesn't it make sense to be fasting? Of course. Now, this is interesting because Brittany's evidence-based. She's got a great knowledge base. It just makes sense to go in fasting, but that's actually not what the data suggests. So Brittany, I'm with you. I get it. Our resident had the same idea, but it actually is paradoxical. So anyway, I just wanted to introduce you to Brittany. She does a great job and she fell for the hook because it is not better to be fasting for the one hour. Okay, Back to the episode. The ACOG does recommend universal diabetes screening between 24 and 28 weeks, and only between 24 and 28 weeks. In other words, if a patient comes in at 35 weeks as late presentation, technically we're not even supposed to do a diabetes screen there based on glucose challenge because we're not sure what the normal value is for that gestational age. So it's not meant to be interpreted later, but you can do it earlier. Remember that the college does identify high-risk patients for whom 50-gram 1-hour glucose challenge test can be done early. We have a whole podcast on early gestational diabetes screening and how that's controversial because the data actually shows, wow, hey, you picked it up early. Fantastic. But it doesn't actually change any long-term neonatal outcome. So early diabetes screening, while still endorsed by the college and SMFM, is a little controversial. You need to go back and listen to that podcast. But the universal time, if you're not doing an early screen, is 24 to 28 weeks. And then if they present for late care later and they've missed that window, you've got to screen them with something else, maybe a hemoglobin A1c, even though we know that's not perfect, or a random uh, uh, glucose, or a fasting glucose, you got to do something else. But technically, the one hour glucose challenge is only interpretable between 24 and 28 weeks. Even though there's a one-step glucose screening for diabetes, the ACOG does favor the two-step process. The two-step is a 50-gram, one-hour glucose screen with the obviously glucose check in one hour after the challenge. And if they fail that, then moving on to the three-hour diagnostic test, which is a 100-gram glucose challenge, all right? We all know that. But remember that there's two different scales for interpreting your results. There's the Carpenter costin which is a little bit lower in value, and then the National Diabetic Data Group, which is about 10 points higher than Carpenter Caustin. Now, traditionally, the National Diabetic Data Group has been used... Even though the original, I'm talking about in the 1950s, it was the Carpenter-Costin. So whichever diagnostic tool you use, it's fine. Just be consistent. Don't use one tool for one patient and switch to the other for the next patient. So National Diabetic Data Group or their Carpenter-Costin as the cutoff values for diagnosis. As I've mentioned before in other podcasts, I think if you know the history of something, you learn it much better. And this whole thing of the 1 hour 50 gram and the 3 hour 100 gram, that's nothing new. It's not like ACOG necessarily came up with that because that kind of predated the whole college stance. This was first proposed in 1957 by three physician authors and researchers, O'Sullivan, Workerson, and Remen they proposed in 1957, offering a three-hour oral glucose tolerance test for patients who presented with risk factors for diabetes, like family history, prior gestational diabetes, or gestational glycosuria, or a baby that was, quote, overdeveloped, end quote, at term. In other words, macrosomic. (laughs) And for women without risk factors, then they proposed giving a one-hour 50-gram glucose load and if they failed that, then they would be offered the three-hour test. Is that wild or what? That goes back to 1957. So the three-hour was meant to be given as a first screen for those at high risk, and then a 50 gram for those at average risk, proceeding to the three-hour if they failed. By the way, they use the carpenter costing criteria there as a failure of the one hour of 130, rather than the National Diabetic Data Group higher value of 140 as a cutoff value the thought process of being non-fasting in the 50-gram glucose tolerance screen was to mirror more real-world criteria. All right, So people came in, I'm just here, I'm ready to go, I'm between 24 and 28 weeks. Well, it doesn't matter when you've eaten, just go ahead and give this. The other reason why the 50-gram was done in a random non-fasting state was because glucagon and insulin was really just starting to be understood here, and its mechanism, its physiology was being elucidated. So in other words, put this in their perspective. Somebody goes into a fasting mode. That's more than six hours. So not eating for six hours. What happens, of course, is your blood sugar drops. Well, the body tries to protect itself from starvation mode. So glucagon gets released. Well, then glucagon, of course, causes a, a gluconeogenesis and a temporary paradoxical glucose spike, right? You get hyperglycemia. Now, remember, if you go back to physiology, kind of the same thing happens with exogenous insulin administration and nitrogen time sleeping that's the Somogyi effect or if you remember what that is so somebody who's a diabetic they take insulin before they go to bed and then they stop eating because they're asleep and so what happens is that insulin is still working so it drops their endogenous glucose so they get hypoglycemic well in the middle of the night their glucagon kicks up and so they get this reflex hyperglycemia when they wake up and so it confuses them it's like wait a minute i went to bed i took my insulin and my sugar is sky high this morning i mean what happened well that's the Somogyi effect Although this Somogyi effect is insulin-induced, it's pharmacology-based, the same thing happens in endogenous physiology if the person has normal glucose metabolism. So it's assuming they're not diabetic, right? So in somebody who has normal glucose metabolism, and this is what we're trying to figure out, right? Who has uh, impaired glucose tolerance because of the pregnancy but is otherwise has normal physiology? That's the whole reason that we're doing this screen. Uh, the same thing happens in that situation where if they have endogenous or healthy glucose metabolism, they go through a fasting period, body says, oh my gosh, this person is in starvation mode, kick up the glucagon, glucagon gets released, and so you get fasting hyperglycemia that could be made worse with the 50 gram challenge. So that's the whole premise of this study that we're about to discuss, is if you take the 50 gram in a fasting state, do you have a higher percentage rate of failures as opposed to if you stick to the rules and do it in a non-fasting state. All right, team, that sets the stage well for what we're about to get into. We're going to summarize a new article, a new study coming out in the Green Journal. It's not out in print yet, but it was released ahead of print. And we're going to tackle this because it answers that specific question. Is it better to be fasting or stick with the rules and be non-fasting for the one-hour glucose screen in pregnancy? But as always in science, once you find an answer, it uncovers another question, <laughs> and so there's questions that were that were birthed, no pun intended, from this study that we're going to tackle as well. So let's get into this study now. The lead author from this new publication, which is an RCT, is Merrill Sperling, and this data comes out from the research team at Stanford, California. The title of this original research is Fasting Compared with Fed and Oral Intake Before the 1-Hour Oral Glucose Tolerance Test, and it is an RCT. Now, please listen to the end of the podcast because we're going to go over some limitations here and some clinical implications because it's going to raise some questions about why we do the three-hour fasting if taking a big glucose challenge in the fasting state may give you altered results. And again, the short answer is it's history because we're looking for fasting hyperglycemia. So we're not going to be able to get away from taking a three-hour test in a fasting state, all right? It is what it is. It's kind of the conundrum. But there is some, some implications here about making sure that patients actually do not come in for the one-hour test in a fasting state because it may increase their chance that they're going to fail it. But more questions remain. So we're going to answer all of these questions once we give you the results coming up in this next section. This was a single-site RCT where patients were divided and randomized into two camps. The fasting group could not eat within six hours of taking the test, and then the fed group were those who were able to eat within two hours of taking the 50-gram challenge. Patients were randomized in a one-to-one ratio into either group, and 200 total participants were studied. 100 were randomized to the fasting group, and 100 were randomized to the fed group. So what happened? Well, the screen positive rate in the fasting group was 32% compared to 13.3% in the fed group. In other words, it was more than twice more likely that patients would fail if they took the test in a fasting state. But remember, this is a screening test. This doesn't mean that they were all gestational diabetic, but in those who went on to have the confirmatory three-hour diagnostic test, well, the authors found that the rate of GDM was 12.4% in the fasting group and it was only 5.1 percent in the fed group. But there's a catch here and here's a an important limitation. This study was not powered to find the true significance of the rate of diabetes by a diagnostic test. So even though more percentage had GDM in the fasting state, the results were not statistically significant the p-value was 0.08, and the authors make that very clear that this was not powered to find the true incidence of gestational diabetes. So that's one of the limitations, and we're going to address that in just a little bit down the road. Let's stop here for just a minute because I want to clarify this. As I've mentioned before, guys, nothing's new under the sun. And that is so true because it is interesting that, wow, patients who took the one-hour test fasting actually did worse. So it was a higher rate that they failed and then had to move on to take the three-hour test. But that's nothing new. That actually was first published by G.F. Lewis et al. in the journal Diabetes Care back in 1993 that article was published prior feeding alters the response to the 50 gram glucose challenge test in pregnancy. And yeah, well, we've already known that. So it's interesting that this study is out not as groundbreaking new data, but as validation of what we've actually already known. And again, that's why the one hour is supposed to be done in a random non-fasting state. So even though the study is not providing new groundbreaking data, it's good validation data. And it reminds us to tell patients that they can come in without fasting and that fasting actually can be worse. So remind them not to try to beat the test, but they can eat within two hours of taking the 50 gram load. But here's what's weird, right? I mean, aren't you thinking about it? Well, if fasting is not good, why are we making them come in fasting for the three hour? And I get it. And it's right. And that's kind of the The paradox and the conundrum. You see, even though we realize that coming in fasting could be dealing with this whole glucagon flare and temporary rise in mean blood sugars, and then we give them another load, we still need to capture one vital piece of information, and that's fasting hyperglycemia. I mean, that's the issue there. In patients that have been found to have fasting hyperglycemia on the diagnostic three hour test, that's a great prognostic factor for those who are going to go on to need insulin therapy or or medication therapy. So this whole issue of fasting hyperglycemia really is a big deal. So much so that the traditional Parkland protocol is that if a patient failed the three hour GTT and one of the two abnormal values on that test included the fasting, they were automatically called A2 gestational diabetics and they were placed on medication. Of course, other institutions and the more traditional approach is that if they fail two values, regardless of what they are, then they're given nutritional and dietary interventions first. And then if they fail to meet certain cutoff values, which is, you know, less than 105 fasting or less than 120 in a postprandial two-hour checks, then they're placed on medication and then called A2. Parkland felt so strongly that fasting hyperglycemia uh, is a poor prognostic factor that they were automatically called A2s and started on medication patients quickly. So you see, there's the catch. There is poor prognostic factors with fasting hyperglycemia. So even though we know that the patients come in fasting and it may trigger a glucagon flare, and then we give them 100 grams, maybe it's going to throw off their sugars. We don't know any better. We don't know any different rather, because by definition, that includes a fasting value. So something to consider. All right, podcast family, now that we're getting ready to wrap this up, I do want to dive in just a little bit deeper into that study limitation that the authors themselves disclose at the end of this article. And they stated that, look, yes, even though those who came in fasting had a higher rate of failing the one hour and there was a higher incidence of GDM in that group, it was empowered to figure out if this actually does affect the rate of true gestational diabetes. So we don't know. So what do we do with this? What's the clinical implication of this? Well, there's three things. One, remind patients not to try to beat the test, the screening test. And it's okay if they come in having eaten something within two hours of the test. And actually, ironically, coming in fasting may be worse because there's a higher chance that they fail the test and then need to go on to the three hours. That's the first thing. The second thing is this actually is not new data. Again, this was published in the 1990s that taking the test in the fasting state could actually work against you and give you a failure of your screen. And the third and the biggest limitation is, well, we just don't actually know if those who fail the one hour actually does translate to a higher risk of having gestational diabetes on the three-hour diagnostic test. That still hasn't been figured out because this study was not powered to do that. So questions remain. So the take-home message, do your one-hour screen at 24 to 28 weeks, remind patients not to come in fasting, not to try to beat the test, and until there's a better way to diagnose GDM, we're kind of stuck with the fasting aspect as part of the three-hour test. Well, that brings us to a wrap. We're so thankful for you all. We really love being in contact with all of our listeners. We get so encouraged. I mean, worldwide, we get messages, and we absolutely love that. Keep spreading the word about Clinical Pearls. This is all listener-driven. We're not corporately sponsored. Um, We don't answer to anybody except for the data. So as always, thank you for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.